Here's the 0-2 pitch. Got him swinging. Shawaran pumping his fist and showing the emotion. Galgan kicks and deals, and it's a line drive to short. Leaping grab by Kevin Smith. Two. That one is hit well, deep to center, backing up his wave near the warning track at the wall. He makes the grab! Swung on and missed, he got him, and the Terps win! The Illini 27 winning streak comes to a close, and the Terps move on to the next round. The 2-2, two -two, curveball, strike three! The Terps have done it again! This time it's on the West Coast! The number one team in the tournament goes down as the Terps have ditched the gloves and they're dogpiling on the mound. Good evening and welcome to the 11th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg joined by Terps baseball manager Phil DePace. Phil, great to have you with us tonight. Thanks, it's good to be here, uh, Jake. We're out in sunny California and Irvine actually at the the hotel the team is staying at for the week before they face Irvine on Wednesday and then Cal State Fullerton this weekend. And we'll jump ahead and take a look at all four of those games here on tonight's podcast. We'll also talk with our guest, Terps outfielder Madison Nickens. He'll join us later on. But to start things off, Phil, happy Pi Day. Thank you, Jake. You know, me being a math major, it's uh, kind of a big day for me. So uh, happy, happy Pi Day to all the Terps out there and uh, everyone. Yeah, we sent out some some fun Pi Day tweets earlier on our Twitter account at MD Baseball Net. I had one about the the turf was the closest batting average, and I know it's not like exactly closest to Pi because it's mm -hmm. technically .313, not 3.14. But I hope you, as a math major, Phil, I hope you can forgive me. You know, last year's Pi Day was a big one because you got 3.1415, so you get the extra two digits in there. But this year, it's it's not nearly as good. But the 3.13 uh, was was pretty close. I like that. But this year's still good, despite still good. Still despite good. the lack of the last two days. It's still good. All right, so we'll we'll jump right ahead. We'll take a look at, at last week in the series against Brian. I wasn't personally there. I came out here to California a few days early. We had Matt President and John Vitas on the call on Friday, and then we had the PA announcer Matt Noble filling in for us on Saturday and Sunday. Phil, what did what did you see this weekend against Brian? Let's start with Friday. Uh, Friday, you know, you had Mike Mike on the mound. I think the biggest takeaway from the weekend in general was just how well our starting pitchers did. You know, we went out and had it was 27 innings, and I think our starters threw 23 of those innings, which means everyone went at least seven. I know Bloom threw a complete game, threw nine. Uh, Mike, on Friday, you know, threw seven innings, gave up three runs. Um, you know, probably wasn't his best outing of the day, but really fought through a lot of stuff. And there was, there was times when, you know, he, he had a really, really good slider. His fastball was, was generally like 90-92, maybe dropped down a little as, as the uh, start went on. But Terps came out, put up a four spot in the fifth on their guy, James Karinchak, who was throwing 91 to 93 the whole start, uh, you know, really good spotting up and uh, putting up a four spot there in the fifth. I think it was the fifth or it was the mm -hmm. sixth. Um, and winning that game five to three was a really, really good way to start off that series. Well, Karinchak's a guy, and it was good to see the Terps get this showing against him because he's a guy who's really moving himself up the draft board for, for 2017. Not this year because he's just a sophomore. sophomore yeah. But once he gets going, I mean, he's not necessarily in that first-round conversation quite yet, but he's certainly making a name for himself and moving himself up. And I want to go back to your point about the starting pitching. Yes. You know, I noticed going into Sunday's game, because I was, I was following along from here and covering mm -hmm. the games. You know, going into Sunday's game, the Terps had only used three total pitchers. Yes. You had Shawarn yes. and Styles go yes. on Friday, and then obviously Bloom gives you incredible – Distance, you know, on Saturday going all, all nine. nine innings. That's a yeah. career high. For Only him. ninety-seven pitches too. I think it, exactly, and we'll we'll get to Taylor Bloom later because I was I was raving about him on yeah. Saturday during his start. Really he was nice he was pitching start. really well, but we'll we'll stick with Friday just a little bit. And now we've had kind of two starts, I guess, where Shawarn hasn't been, I guess, what we expect. But of course, I feel like our expectations may be high. We're so used to the dominance yeah. from the unicorn that you know maybe a start where he gives up three runs with only two of them earned is, is a bit of an anomaly for us. Agreed, agreed. You know, maybe it wasn't his best start, but uh, he's come out and he, he's he's done exactly what you want. He's given us a quality start almost every time. I know last week at EC it was not not exactly the best start. And it was cold. It was really cold there. Well, I was also a number uh, 16 ranked team. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe he hasn't had the best two starts in a row, but He's, he's exactly what you mean. He's a guy that goes out every Friday night, and you expect to win, and he's going to compete for you real hard. So I'm not too worried about it. 
I wouldn't be too worried about him either. I mean, the one thing of concern that that I would say about Mike is that you know the, the five walks on Friday as opposed to the two strikeouts yeah. really a ratio for him that you expect in a complete other direction. Right, but, right. You know, K's haven't been as high this year, but I mean, the thing for Mike is you know you'll go start by start with him. He's always going to come out and give you the best chance to win Absolutely. on Friday night. On Saturday, now now we get to talk about Taylor Bloom, who has put together quietly the best season of any Maryland pitcher. I mean, it's unbelievable. Three straight starts going at least seven innings, and of course, last Saturday, the complete game for nine. First time he's ever gone a complete game, and a really bad luck loss for him. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He was keeping hitters off balance the whole day. That changeup, it was virtually unhittable. I I think Andrew Beck told, I I can't can't remember how many ground balls he had hit to him, but it had to have been like 10 to 12. That would hit them. That uh, you know, they were just out in front. They could no one. It was everything was off the barrel. You know what I mean? That I don't think hardly anyone squared up a ball against him. And you know, it's it's all because nothing's straight with him. It's it's, it's even if it's his fastball, it's got a ton of arm side run to it. It's not hard, but it's it keeps people off the barrel. And that's that's really what he did. He pitches the contact and and with that changeup in the fastball, it just really aren't straight. That uh, he's been really really effective for us this year. Well, think about for me for Bloom that you know I love to see. From it is one thing you talk about that changeup. In fact, the official number of assists was 10, ten in that game uh, on Saturday. When you reach double digits on assists yeah. as an infielder, crazy I mean, game. That's it a was... pretty that's a pretty solid game. But you know, going back to Bloom, the, I always look at strikeout to walk ratio. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the most important things to look at for a starting pitcher and really any pitcher, even if you're a reliever. And Bloom five strikeouts and zero walks. So he's got yeah. that control in there, that changeup working. And my biggest concern for Bloom this season has been. The hits that he's, you know, given up. He's given up 26 hits now in his mm-hmm. 28 innings, which is not exactly where you want it to right, be. Both Schaefer right. and Shawarn have, you know, lower numbers mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bloom also has the highest batting average against opposing hitters, hitting 243 against him. But on Saturday, six hits in yeah. nine innings yep. facing 33 batters, which is phenomenal. Phenomenal, absolutely. And, you know... Of course, he did go 110 pitches, which is by far yeah, the most yeah, he's, he's ever touched. Yeah. I don't think he'd ever broken 100 before before this outing. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure about that. But yeah, I, I believe you're correct with that. But but nonetheless, for Taylor Bloom, arguably one of the best starts of his young Terrapin career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first run that he gave up, you know, a, a double play would have ended that inning. Yes, it's an earned yes. run, but I don't really chalk that one up to Bloom so much. The second run in the ninth inning, back-to-back doubles. Brian, a doubles-hitting team, and... You know, when you're at a, over 100 pitches in the ninth inning and you're trying to protect a lead, you're trying to get, you know, quick outs. You put the ball right. over the plate. Hopefully they hit it to a fielder. And, you know, Brian was able to just put it in a couple gaps and, and, and do some damage there. But, you know, really, you know, if you have your starter going nine innings and giving up oh, two yeah. runs, that's as, that's as much that's, as you can oh, ask yeah, for. Absolutely, absolutely. So. so, I mean, the Terps offense on Saturday, obviously, you know, a bit stagnant. Yes, especially yes. after you know the last week they've been they've been, they've really been very strong. good. Uh, you know, I I think uh, you know generally we, we've done we've done very good, but we could do a lot better with our execution. I know there's a number of times when we've had runners on third with less than two outs and we haven't scored them. And that's that's a big thing for us is you know we pride ourselves on on our approach and being able to execute when when it matters. You know that game on Saturday, I think we we honestly probably hit better than them in general and pitch better than them. But they came up with the two big hits, and that—that's really what matters was the timely hitting for them. That's just something we couldn't—we couldn't come up with that big hit. You know, we had—I'm trying to think—we had bases loaded in, two, in a couple innings, and we didn't—didn't didn't score. I know that there were there were a couple instances where there were two on and one out, and then bases yeah. loaded with one out. There were there were certainly yeah. opportunities to be had. Right, right, and it's just just the execution that wasn't wasn't good. But you know, our offense has done really well over the last couple of weeks, and that was, that was really one game, but um, it, it was kind of. Uh, upsetting to see that well what i've been saying about this this terps team you know throughout the season is that yes it's a young team and yes there are question marks and we thought it was going to be the offense we found out now that it's really more so the bullpen that has maybe the biggest you know issues in terms of consistency <laughs> and you know the offense started out shaky as we expected yep. it's a young team yep. they struggled to get going they scored one run in the first four or mm-hmm. five games but then after that i don't know if you saw i threw out some statistics over Twitter, you know, kind of, I think after the, the George Washington loss. Yeah. And it amazed me to see the difference in run production between the first four or five games and then the games leading up to that. You know, to start the season, it was 2.6 runs per game. Mm-hmm. And then up leading to the George Washington game and through that game against GW, it was 8.6 runs a game, which is 
Eight point six runs lead. That's, that's, gonna that's what you want games, on offense. Yeah. So the 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 tail of the tape with this team that that I've seen personally is that the pieces are there. You have the offense. Absolutely. You have the offense. We've seen the defensive flashes from you know all the different gloves on the field. Mm-hmm. And yes, there have been a lot of games with errors, and I know the team is still struggling a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. We've seen the starting pitching, and we've already mentioned that that is certainly there. You know, not to mention Brian Schaefer having mm-hmm. you know his best start of the season, and certainly an encouraging one at that on Sunday. It just seems to me that it hasn't been all put together yet. Right. I think you bring up a couple of really good points. I'll start with the offense. And you're saying that the biggest, uh, like the run differential between the first couple of games and, and the and the last however many games, um, I think the biggest difference you see is, is the team's becoming way more fastball efficient. In, in Alabama, we probably took, I, I can't tell you how many thigh-high fastballs or strikes, and we were just getting ourselves behind, and we weren't taking advantage of, of the fastballs that we were giving. Because, you know, every team in, in – baseball in general and what you're really you're looking to hammer fastball you know you no one's no one's looking out there like oh yeah I'm gonna go hit his curveball and you know when we were taking so many of those fastballs in Bama it just put us behind in the count so now it's become way more fastball efficient and you're seeing the production in, in runs um two I think you brought up the really good point of that everything is there I, I believe I think the parts are there you know you're saying with the hitting with the pitching and you know I I do believe in our defense which has been shaky at times this year and we, we can but, talk about the defense a little bit more because when you have you know three games and five errors yeah i mean it's it's a big question mark you know yeah. leading up to that george washington series there were 16 total errors george washington game excuse me 16 total errors you know yeah. the, the two errors in six of the last eight games leading up to that and then you go in this weekend you have one on friday one on saturday and three on sunday yeah i think i think uh you know College baseball is really all about, I mean, you can say this in the pros too, but, but you see it more in college, is really avoiding errors and taking advantage of when teams make errors. Um, and so when you limit the errors in the field, you're more likely to win. And, you know, defense has been a huge calling card for chef, for Chef's teams over the last couple of years, and uh, it's really led to us being very successful. And so to see us struggle a little bit so far is disappointing, but I, I truly believe that the, the – talent is there and that we will figure it out at some point well i know one of chef's biggest you know onuses is on the defense and you know he always tells me that he wants to put the best defensive team Absolutely. out there for his pitchers especially when they're pitching well like schwarm mm-hmm. bloom and you know now schaefer are starting mm-hmm. to do so and you know we've seen more of a consistent lineup the last three games in this series the mm-hmm. top of the lineup certainly is solidified yes with smith nickens dunn and sierra and the four of them for the most part, have been tremendous over the past yep. four games, especially once Smith has moved into that leadoff spot and he's starting to you know, get accustomed to leading things off and taking a few pitches to allow Nickens and Dunn, who's been right. incredible. Uh, on fire. We could rave about oh. you know Nick Dunn's offensive performance you know, all podcast if we wanted to. <laughs> the I mean, can, the, the freshman, he's, loud. Been, he's been unbelievable. He's batting 429 through 15 games. He has 24 hits. That leads the team. Six doubles. That leads the team. 12 RBIs. That leads the team. You see a trend here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Slugging percentage of 589. You know, that leads the team, of course, if you exclude the guys who have won at bat and you know, have gotten right, one hit, right. like like Nick Brown. You know, on-base percentage at 522. Guess what, Phil? That leads the yeah, team no, also. I mean, it, I said at the beginning of the season, you know, when we did our season preview and we were talking a lot about Dunn because we were we were pretty excited about him coming. Matt had mm-hmm. seen him with the, sil- with the right, uh, Silver right. Springs Coma T-Bolts in the summer, and we saw his prowess there. We heard about, you know, the strikeout, you know, the, or the lack thereof right, of strikeouts. Right. And Matt and I looked at each other and we said, wow, Nick Dunn is basically Brandon Lau 2.0. Yeah. And he's proven it in every, in every sense of the phrase. They're both about the same height. They're both left-handed hitters playing second base. Yeah. And, you know, through pretty much the middle way last season, Brandon Lau was leading the Terps in every single yep. offensive yep. category. So it's pretty uncanny. Yeah, no, it's, it. it's the back control. It just allows him to hit to all fields. And uh, it's pretty much the same thing you can say about Brandon Lau. Uh, He's been fun to watch. I, uh, honestly, the, the dude's in his own right now, and it's been fun to watch. Not to mention, of course, he's reached base safely in every single game that he's <laughs> ever played as a Terp, you know, whether it be by a hit or a walk. So, you know, we know that, you know, he, he had him in that leadoff spot, albeit very, albeit very briefly, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in that in that two hole, now back down to three, mm-hmm. where I think he's found, you know, a real I comfort zone. He's very comfortable there. And when you have, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Nick Sieri hitting behind yeah. you. You know, yeah. Sieri, who's got yeah. pr- probably the most power on this team, and he showed it on that grand slam Agreed. against Rhode Island. I mean, when you have Sieri hitting behind you, and you have Nick hitting in yeah, front exactly. of you, 
it doesn't leave the opposing pitcher a whole lot of options Heck because yeah. you either have to pitch to Nickens, who leads the team in home runs, and we'll talk to Madison about that later. Right. Or, I mean, it's just a, one through four in this lineup, dangerous. 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 Very dangerous. Not an easy out. And Phil, we didn't even talk about Kevin Bionic. Wait, there's a lot of people you want to talk about. I, I personally would like to talk about Marty Costas right now because the man is so, is the most fastball fishing guy on the team right now. I think I know against Karen Chack Friday he came up to the plate first two plate appearances gets gets hammers a first pitch fastball into right field first one's hard contact for now is a line drive into right the guy caught and then the next one's a single into right he's been he's been honestly the surprise of the team so far for me just in terms of of how well he's taken his approach and and become very fastball efficient. Um, and then you know the bat after that goes and takes I think two or three curveballs in the dirt and ends up with it with a real nice walk there. Um, you know you could talk about him, Kevin Biondic. There's a lot of people on this team that you could talk about right now that have, have really become pretty solid offensive pieces for us. I mean we had we had Marty on the podcast last week after he hit that towering three run shot yeah. down in um down in North Carolina yes. down in North Carolina, and you know he was talking to us about. You know his offensive approach and how you know mm-hmm. Coach Vaughn is in, invested in him and, and believed in him. Yeah. And we've now seen him in this regular role in left field. Yes. And it's it's been you know really fun to watch another freshman, you know, get a lot of at bats and, and get going here. And between him and Biondic, who came on a lot last year offensively yes. really yeah. well, they've been fun to watch behind those you know front four for the Terps, and it makes that lineup so much deeper. And you know I, that's that's even before Anthony Papio. You know, Andrew Andy Bechtel, Bechtel get going. Justin Morris, yeah, all of them. You know, I think we have a pretty deep lineup, and I think it's been shown in our run production over the past however many games. But um, you know, I, I, we've been we've been real fastball fishing the past couple games, and I really like that. So, a good series win against Bryant yes. Saturday. A bit surprising, arguably the best pitching performance of the weekend, but the the lone loss, yes. the two nothing loss. And then on Sunday, let's let's touch on on Brian Schaefer a little bit because yeah. he deserves yeah. he deserves some air time given the fact that he struggled to this point. And mm-hmm. yes, we've talked a lot on our broadcasts about you know how he's coming off the the elbow issues in the in the summer and the fall and how he really was maybe a bit rusty coming into this season. Mm-hmm. But we finally saw the the seal the, the higher ceiling of Brian oh, yeah. Schaefer Absolutely. on Sunday. Seven innings pitched, two runs, but one earned. And then six strikeouts to the one walk. I'm going to bring up yeah, that strikeout-to-walk yeah, well, ratio again. And for him, the walks this year have been more surprising than anything else. After right, 52 and 9 That's what I was, I was about to get at. The dude was a strike-throwing machine uh, yesterday. But, you know, that was sort of always his calling card was that he just threw a ton of strikes. You know, yesterday's fastball was 88 to 91 for the most part. I think he got up to 92 at one point. Um, slider was, was pretty good. But, you know, it was, he was throwing a lot of strikes. And he was locating his pitches really well. And, um... You know that that's going to win you a lot of starts right there when you when you're throwing that many strikes. So certainly improve that strikeout to walk ratio overall. Now 14 Ks on the year and just the five free passes lowered that opponent's batting average too, and, and got his first win of the year, which I'm sure you know is is a huge amount of confidence for the sophomore, mm-hmm. especially you know Absolutely. when you're when you're pitching behind Taylor Bloom and Mike Schwarn, you know you feel you feel a level of, a level of competition between the three of them <laughs> in terms of getting things done. And I've talked yeah. to three of them about this and how they kind of you know, spur each other on. And I feel like maybe Shawarin is not so much a part of that as is between Bloom and Schaefer, yeah. who are very close off the field as well. And I know that, you know, they might have a little, you know, competition yeah, between themselves, yeah. you know, on yeah. Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, that, I we, we I think that was a really, really solid uh, series win for us. You know, Brian's been a uh, top 50 RPI team two of the last three years. I know... Um, Aaron Fitz sold him, I think, two weekends ago. He's a national analyst for D1 Baseball. And he was saying that Brian's lineup is SEC caliber. And, you know, he was a big believer in the Brian team. So for Brian Schaefer to go out there and Taylor Bloom, both of them, to go out there and pitch as well as they did, um, I think it's a real confidence booster for the team. And yeah, they, they probably do have some competition between the two of them. But uh, it's, it's always good competition. So, so that does it for our wrap-up of the past weekend. When we come back, we'll talk to Terps outfielder Madison Nickens about everything under the sun. The Terps hitting this year is time at LSU Eunice, and, and we'll go from there. And then after that, we'll take a look at the game against UC Irvine on Wednesday and Cal State Fullerton this weekend. Stick with us on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Hi, Terps fans. This is play-by-play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team. But, in order to do so, we need your help. 
As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg, Phil DePace here for the Maryland Baseball Network, and now we're joined by Terps outfielder Madison Nickens. Madison, thanks for joining us this season. Very well. Glad to be here. How was the, how was the flight out to California today? Long. Very, very long. I had a middle seat, too, so it wasn't that long, <laughs> oh, but it was, it was a nice flight. It, it was just a long flight. The dreaded, the dreaded, was that, was this your longest flight ever? Yes, it, it definitely by far, by probably two or three hours, my longest flight. Now, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later in, in this discussion with you, you know, I know you're flying to Alaska this summer and we can get to that later on. I'm sure that'll be, that'll be a fun experience, but we'll start, we'll start with this season, you know, through 15 games, you're leading the Terps in home runs. You've got five, you had six last year with LSU Eunice. Where's this power coming from? Uh couldn't tell you it's just <laughs> just a better approach um I'm, I'm not trying to hit home runs i mean with the with the approach that we're taught to use home runs you know will come when you run into the ball so i mean i'm you know i'm not going to try to hit home runs but it'll happen occasionally does it does it i'm sure it helps with a guy like nick dunn and nick sierra hitting behind you 100 percent. when you have <laughs> when you have nick dunn who you can rarely get out, and you have a big guy like Sierra batting behind you with a lot of experience. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna come at you a little bit more because they don't want to they don't want to face those guys. So I'll see I'll see some better pitches than they do. So that definitely that definitely uh, factors in. So you were in the leadoff spot to start the year, and now they switched you into the three hole, you know, for a couple games, and now comfortably, I guess, in that in that two slot. What does the mentality change, you know, where you hit in the lineup? And I guess, you know, going back to the pitches, you know, what kind of different pitches do you see depending on where you are? Um, from the one hole to the two hole, I don't think I don't think pitches are are too much different. I think the three hole is the is the only one. It's not much different, but three holes more of a guy looking to drive in more runs. One two holes looking looking to get on base. And I mean, realistically, you're trying to get on base no matter where you're batting in the lineup, but the three hole is generally going to drive in more runs, so they're going to pitch them, you know, a little bit more carefully. So a pretty successful start of the season for you. You've reached base safely in 14 of the 15 games and had that streak going up until Saturday, but, you know, now you're back on track. Yeah, I mean, I I like to try to get on base. I mean, that's what, you know, Coach Chef, he's, I don't think he's really worried too much about other numbers as long as you're getting on base, and that's what everybody's trying to do. Everybody's trying to, grind out at bats and get on base because when you get on base stuff happens and in my situation when I get on base Nick Dunn gets to come to the plate with a runner hopefully in scoring position or soon to be so that's that's my job so let's let's backtrack a little bit to before this season to before the fall we'll go back to last spring you're at LSU Eunice and you're playing the outfield there and you find out you know you have this offer to come to Maryland how did that kind of transpire, and you know, how did you find out about it? Uh, well, first of all, Coach Chef was the coach at ULL, which is University of Louisiana at Lafayette, for for a couple years, I believe. Um, and he knew my junior college coach, and I mean, as far as I know, he was just making some calls, and he happened to call my uh, my coach, and you know, I was having a I was having a decent fall. It was near the end of the fall, so. They just gave me a call, and it just started. It, I mean, it ended up working out. So you kind of first heard from Maryland in, in the fall before before last season. So before your season with LSU, Eunice, you had heard from Maryland. Uh, we, I think my first call from Maryland was at the end of last fall. So kind of going into the season, it was maybe not necessarily at the forefront of your mind or even the back end of your mind, but it was something that was that was there. It was kind of somewhat established in a way. It was like a, uh, I don't know, it was, it was really cool because it almost seemed kind of unrealistic at the time because, I mean, really good baseball school. Not saying I didn't have the confidence, but in, it was just they were, you know, Maryland so far away. It, it almost didn't seem realistic, but 
you know, as things kept going on, it, it became more realistic and, and ended up happening. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. And then, of course, you know, the championship run with the Bengals. I'm sure that was a lot of fun and certainly put the entire team on the map and not just not just you with Maryland. Oh, well, honestly, the team, Eunice, has been on the map for a while, I believe. That's, that's the fifth national championship. You know, Coach Willis does a fantastic job down there. He produces a lot of good baseball players. And it's not just a lot of talented guys. It's, it's some smart guys. He takes... He can take baseball players out of high school who are who are good, but you know they're not spectacular. And he teaches them the game, and he teaches them how to play the right way. And the rest of his coaching staff does the same. So, really good school down there. Is that is that how you developed at Unis? How did you end up at Eunice and then kind of develop under Coach Willis to, to come to Maryland? They were my best offer out of high school, and when I was there, I I was raw talent, and you know I'm far far from a complete product but he definitely molded me in a positive direction taught me how to play the game hard and you know teach it he, he teaches things like they teach here which was which was you know when I came on my visit I was excited to hear but you know there's only a couple things you can control when you play and that's your attitude and effort and that's kind of you know stuff that he would go over and you know, it's stuff I learned and it it pays dividends to know um, coming from LSU Eunice, I know you alluded to this a second ago, uh, them being a Juco D2 powerhouse. Uh, I'm just interested to hear, what, what do you think the biggest difference is between Maryland and a school like LSU Eunice? I mean, obviously Maryland's like a lot larger, but... <laughs> I mean, that's, saying, that's a good no, place to start. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, is, is there like a completely different style of baseball down there? Is it, is, is there like a different, you prepare differently? I'm just, I'm just interested to see what, what the largest difference is you think between the two other than just the size of the school. Um, size of the school is big. I mean, you got to look at the division too. You know, Maryland's Maryland's a Division One. Eunice is a JUCO, so you're gonna have naturally you're gonna have more talent in the Division One. You know, we're gonna play the Alabamas and the Tennessees and a lot of the really good Big Ten schools, and you know they're just gonna have more talent. JUCOs JUCOs for the guys out of high school that aren't ready to go to make the step to Division One. So. I think the main difference is the speed of the game and the talent. First time you stepped on the Maryland campus, as an, not, not for your visit, as an official student, as an official member of Terps Baseball, what was your impression? What was the thought process there? Well, first of all, I couldn't find anything. <laughs> all the buildings looked the same. I had a meeting, I had a meeting with an, some kind of academic advisor that I had to find, and you know, I was just hustling around, but... You know, I got there and I liked it. You know, I mean, I, I love this place. So I, uh, I got to meet some of the guys. And, and the thing that I really, really enjoyed was uh, the welcoming that I, that I felt. You know, coming, being a junior into a new program isn't always an easy thing. But you get a group of guys like ours who made it much easier for me. Like I live with a guy like Anthony Papio, who's a fifth-year guy. And he, you know, he made my transition a lot easier and, you know, he's, he still does. He's always there for advice when I when I have questions, when I can't find things and stuff like that. And you two are kind of similar playing styles, too. Obviously, both, you know, batting left-handed, both playing outfield. But I feel like both of you have that same kind of blue-collar mentality, whether it's in the field or at the plate. And you've also, you know, you've kind of swapped outfield positions a little bit. He was manning right field for the majority of his time here. You started the season in left, then, you know, moved over to center. And now you've kind of, you're manning the, the shift in in the right field corner. So, you know, what have you learned from him defensively, and what's that kind of switch been like out there? Um, well, honestly, when you get when you get outfielders like like me and Pap, and you know, for the rest of the guys too, you know, Jim Karski, Marty, you know, everybody who who has a chance to play outfield at at this level, and you know, the way Coach Swope has coached us up, they're really interchangeable. I mean, center fielder is going to be your hardest position. And, you know, it's good to have a fifth-year guy like Papio out there. But, I mean, honestly, you know, you do the same job. You run after the ball. And, you know, in my situation, I'm comfortable either one, wherever I'm needed. Were you, were you mostly in center, left, or right with Eunice? Um, Eunice, my freshman year, I was left and right. And my sophomore year, um, year there, I ended up playing center most of the year. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. 
Who's got a better arm? You or Pat? Oh man. Or is there or is there somebody else? Is there a dark horse? I've I've seen I've seen Jamal Wade unleash cannons in during practice. Does he have the best arm on the team? Where's it coming from? Uh, first of all, um, yeah, Jamal Wade probably <laughs> has the best arm, and uh, Marty Marty Costas is probably right behind him. I mean, but if you want to make this a competition between me and Pat, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I really don't want to. Don't want to say anything about that because I don't want to get beat up by him. He's a really competitive guy. I mean, you know, when the game's on the line, if the ball comes to us and it comes to throwing a guy out, I'll, I'll take I'll take both of us. I mean, I don't I think we'll both make the throw. That's what it all comes down to. That's so. a that's a pretty diplomatic answer. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, a, you've that's thrown out you've thrown answer. out a couple guys yeah. in the plate already this year. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to your opportunities. I mean, I've thrown a guy out, but I've also had the chance. I don't think. I don't think Paps had a legit chance like I've had. So let's let's talk a little bit more about Maryland and you kind of coming into that environment, which I'm sure was a, a bit of a culture shock from you, you know, coming from Louisiana. I mean, I'm from New York personally. When I came down to Maryland, and there's a there's a significant like percentage of New Yorkers in College Park, so it wasn't like totally different for me, but you know, I'm sure it was kind of bizarre for you. Uh you know, it it is it's a change. It's not as much of a of a change as people will We'll say, because like I said, I had some really good teammates to kind of help me along the way. But, uh, you know, it is a little bit different. There's there's different preferences up here and whatnot. You know, it's gets a little bit colder in the wintertime. <laughs> you know, there's not as many fishing spots around. But uh, all in all, like I said, it's, I'm comfortable here. You know, it's a little change, but I've been able to uh, become comfortable. So fishing's the hobby for you? Uh, you know, I don't fish as much as I'd like to, but... I uh, got to talk to this guy, Phil. Uh, yeah, he's the I, big fisher on the uh, team. I got, uh, I got not on the fishing. team, but yeah, yeah, I do like to fish. You got to take me to some spots, then, man. I hadn't seen hardly anything. <laughs> I mean, if you, uh, I'm not, I'm not a fisherman. I don't uh, pretend to be. I think I've cast a line like three times. Oh, it might have been on a school, <laughs> might have been on like a school oh, field trip or something. Yeah. I'm not. Look, I'm not going to pretend yeah. to be what I'm not. Right, right. But I mean, yeah, the two of you. I know. I know, yeah, Phil. We'll you like to reel them in. Fill on these, man. I mean, but yeah, but I mean, okay, so let's look at the rest of College Park. What's been, what's your like go-to spot to eat? Chipotle. Nothing, nothing crazy there. I mean, it's been a pretty popular it's a spot. Yeah, it's yeah. A, that's a safe answer. I, I really haven't been around as much as I'd like to. Um, you know, I've been to Annapolis, but other than that, you know, I, I mean, I've been to D.C., Baltimore, but I don't really go around that much. I usually stay in the intermediate area of College Park. Have you gotten to do that kind of whole tourist experience of the you know the Capitol Hill and Washington Monument and uh, the mall and stuff like that? I've actually I had that experience um, after my senior year of high school. The summer ball team I played on made a trip up the East Coast. We went to an Orioles game and then we made the trip in into DC to see all that. So I haven't seen it since I've been here, but I I have made that trip before. Yeah, that's a it's a good it's a good segue into the next part of our conversation, talking about summer ball. You're going to Alaska this yeah. summer with the, with the Matsu Miners. AJ Lee's coming with you. How do you how do you end up in Alaska? A uh, guy from Louisiana. I know I know uh, guys who have played there. I know some really good guys who have played there. So I've uh, I've heard good stuff about it. It's it's you know from what I hear it's a really good league. And that's that's the idea about summer ball. You want to go to the best possible place you can and and get some at bats and you know get better for the uh, for the upcoming season. Really glad I can I can uh, go with a guy like AJ Lee. I mean, you mentioned that Maryland was a little bit colder than Louisiana. I got to imagine Alaska is going to be a bit of a weather problem for you. I thank God I'll be there during the summer, and plus I'll get to do some fishing there. Ice fishing, maybe. No, 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 no they I got some, some salmon. Ice. Yeah, yeah, some salmon, some big, some big salmon. I know. Like I said, I uh, I had a buddy who went. I had a couple buddies who went down there last summer. And they said, you know, they really enjoyed it. They had a good time, so I'm looking forward to it. I mean, you got to educate me a little bit. Is Matsu the city? I couldn't tell you. All right. In, <laughs> in any case, do you know, like, what area of Alaska it is? Is it, like, near Canada on the east side? Is it near Russia on the west side? I want to say I want to say the summer ball revolves kind of around Anchorage, the capital. I want to say all the teams are within, within four hours of that or so, but I, you know, I really don't. 
That would be my guess. Well, you'll, you'll have to come back and, and tell us, because, I mean, between the two of you going to Alaska, I know there are a bunch of guys going up to Cape, and I'm actually I'm going to be joining them up awesome. there. I'll be calling awesome. games for the, for the Chatamays, and that'll be a lot of fun. And there are obviously a bunch of guys staying within the Maryland area in the Cal Ripken League. But when I when I was sent the list of where all the guys were going, I saw, you know, Matsu Miners, Alaskan League, and I was just like, whoa, you know, this comes out of nowhere. And uh, I, I had to had to find out more about that. Yeah, just a just a good league. I mean, they send they send some uh, some solid players down there. And like I said, that's the idea. You want to see uh, you want to see good competition during the summer. So let's let's move back to a little bit more of a serious baseball discussion. Four big games this week: UC Irvine on Wednesday, and then Cal State Fullerton this weekend. What's the mentality going in? And you know, what are you guys looking to do? We're looking to win four baseball games. You know, and I mean, we're, that's the plan. It's it's plain and simple. You know, there's there's no there there's nothing else we're here for. We're here to we're here to beat Irvine on Wednesday, and we're here to win a series against a really good Fullerton team on the weekend. And you know, it's it's a, like you said, it's a big week for us. These are some really good uh, caliber college baseball teams. You know, Irvine was at the College World Series uh, two years ago. Fullerton was there last year, so. You get to play two teams like that, and you get to play some good baseball games, and it and it pays dividends later in the season when you're when you're playing teams like that. So, is the mustache going to help? The mustache will help. It is March, and uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Is it? I've never yeah. heard of mustache Wait, March. March. Yep, that's that's a thing. Is it like no shave November? See, I figured I figured Papio put you up in the mustache because yeah, he was sporting one last year yeah, for most good, of the season. He had a really good one. He's uh, I think he's going to grow it out again too. But yeah, it's mustache March, so that's a kind of a baseball thing. Are you so you are you the only one on the team with the mustache right now? Am I going to no, walk around and see a bunch no, of guys? You're going to be surprised when you uh, go to the ballpark Wednesday. There's a few guys with them. Who's got so far? So far, who's got the best mustache, and who has the absolute worst mustache? Uh, <laughs> you know what? I Papio's going to have the best mustache. He uh he hasn't let his grown uh grow out all the way yet he kind of had a late start but i'll be honest with you pat heisel kind of kind of takes the cake right that was actually my guess really sneaky sneak he's got a sneaky good mustache he really does i'll have to i'll have to check him out and give him the kudos for that one oh yeah what about what about the worst attempt so far or is Uh, it still too early to tell you know i was sitting behind uh murph on the bus today and uh you know, I don't think he's trying to grow a mustache. But he, he's got he's got, some, he's got some weak facial hair. <laughs> All right, that, I love Murph though. We'll, we'll we'll call it right there, Madison. Thanks for joining us tonight. Lots of fun on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. When we come back, we'll take a look at the game against Irvine on Wednesday, the series against Fullerton this weekend. Stick with us. Want instant info on MBN coverage? Make sure to follow us on Twitter at mdbaseballnet. MBN's Twitter account will update followers on broadcast information and will provide links to all MBN content, including interviews, game recaps, and much more. Again, don't forget to follow the official Twitter handle of the Maryland Baseball Network at MDBaseballNet. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg here for the Maryland Baseball Network, joined with Terps manager Phil DePace and Terps SID Taylor Smythe. Taylor, welcome to the podcast for the first time this year. It's good to be here, Jake. Thanks for having me. My my pleasure, absolutely. So we took a look at the last weekend against Bryant. We talked to Madison Dickens, a very entertaining conversation that was with the outfield. Now let's let's take a look ahead. Irvine on Wednesday, Taylor Styles on the mound. He's going to get his first start of the season. I feel like this is something that might be have been a, a long time coming, Phil. Oh yeah, for sure. You know Taylor's one of our really best arms out of the pen. He's been real effective for us. So you know, look for him to. Go through the lineup a couple times and uh, just throwing a lot of strikes, getting getting guys out. So, of course, he had that he had that starting job on Saturday last year yes. until you know the unfortunate events against Cal State Fullerton, the Terps opponent this weekend. That is probably, I'm sure, uh, an interesting milestone for him coming back, and it's been really tremendous to watch him battle through everything and, and get back on the hill and perform the way he has. You know, moving past Irvine, you know, the Anteaters, and we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Let's take a look at Fullerton this weekend. It's going to be the second-ranked opponent the Terps face this season. The first time they play a series against a ranked opponent. Fullerton coming in around the 23-24 mark in, in various polls, D1 Baseball, you know, and USA Today. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, last year, the Titans coming to College Park, first time the teams met in program history, and we were greeted with probably one of the best games in Bob Turtlesmith Stadium history on Friday night, an absolute duel between Absolutely. Mike Schwarn and Thomas Eshelman. Yeah, both guys were dealing that night. I think both won eight innings. Uh, we won, what, one nothing on an unearned run? 2-1? Two, 2-1. Two, one. Two to one. Two to one. Um, you know, Mike was dealing, Eshelman was dealing. It was, it was a, a lot of fun to watch. It was, a, it was a good win for the Terps, that series. I mean, Cal State Fullerton's a team that went on to, to go into Louisville and, and to advance to the College World Series. Um, they used that Sunday game that they won against the Terps to sort of springboard their run uh, late in the year. So um, it'll be another tough test. Uh, Fullerton's got a, a deep rotation again. Sands, Eshelman, they don't have him, obviously. But uh, they're going to be a tough test. Well, of course, the Titans, you know, one of the perennial college baseball powers. You know, mentioned that Friday night game, Shawarn going, you know, eight shutout innings, 13 strikeouts. Probably his marquee start of the season, brought him to 9-0. and Obviously, we talked about him a little bit earlier, how the beginning of this year has been a bit more shaky for him, but, you know, in a big atmosphere like that, and, you know, in sunny California and Fullerton, you know, that's the stage that he thrives on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you always see Mike kind of show up in his biggest games. I mean, he really rose to the challenge against Eshelman. That was a national TV game last year. Um, he's done that throughout his career, so you would expect him to really put forth a good performance. He's had some starts in bad weather this year, um, which I think is some of you guys talked about before, um, and it's not going to be bad on Friday night. It's going to be good weather, so uh, you'd expect Mike to have a good start um, against a really talented Fullerton team. And then, you know, the Saturday game between the Titans and the Terps last year obviously, you know, was marred by the injury, you know, second pitch of the game from Styles, the, the line drive off of the bat of Dustin Vaught coming back to hit him in the face. We've mentioned his recovery at length, and we'll certainly talk more about it this week and, and this weekend as this series goes on. But the performance on Saturday that was so great last year was was Rob Galligan. You know, he came in and really, you know, held down the fort for the Terps in a tough emotional time for the entire team. Six innings of one-run ball, struck out six. And he did something similar against Virginia, too, coming mm-hmm. in in a really tough spot and kind of providing not necessarily, you know, that long middle relief, but he effectively came in as the starter. You know, rubber arm Rob, we know he can go <laughs> as long as anyone needs him to go. Getting five years' worth of appearances in two years. <laughs> <laughs> and we certainly know he's going to do it without sleeves. Oh, yeah, oh absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Might not wear a jersey <laughs> on, uh, on Saturday. But yeah, Rob really used that um, as a springboard for the rest of his, uh, his season last year. I think that was really his coming out party, um, sort of riding the ship there uh, when Taylor uh, unfortunately went down with that injury. Uh, had the game great to start against Purdue and then had a bunch of really key relief appearances against Ole Miss in the, in the regional and against UCLA in the regional. So, uh, and I know he's uh, he's been a little bit uh, semi-disappointed with how he's done so far this year, so maybe uh, getting back against Fullerton, um, taking that challenge will be uh, will be good if he can get in the game this weekend. I'm sure he will. Obviously, oh, Bellinger trusts him and uh, will put him in a big spot if he has to. Well, in, in, a, in a bullpen that's been, you know, really shaky at best this season, probably the biggest question mark, for the Terps through 15 games. Galligan's, you know, been one of the more reliable guys at 2.89 ERA in his eight appearances. He's the go-to lefty arm out of that pen, as, you know, we all expected to be. Racino's been a bright spot, and he continues to pitch, you know, pretty well down the stretch as well. A good setup man and a hard fastball there. Summer's come on in an increased role this year after, you know, getting those midweek spot starts last year. So the bullpen's going to come together a little bit once the freshman arms, I think, once they get more comfortable. A lot of them are, you know, are so young and, even the ones that you know have had a year under their belts, like Andrew Green, you know maybe haven't had as many appearances yet. You know when you look at the bullpen, Ank is a freshman, Murphy's a freshman, Miller's a freshman, Parsons a freshman, Guth is a freshman. Green didn't have an appearance last year, so he's really seeing his first full season of action. You go look at a guy like Jared Price who didn't have a lot of appearances last year. You've really got a bullpen that's comprised of six or seven guys that are making their first you know, real significant contributions to the Terps. Right. For sure. Young but talented. I, I think that's, that's worth pointing out. You know, I, I truly believe that, that it's going to get better over the course of the year. Yeah, and I think you've, what you've seen is, is some of those guys have had tough outings, but they've also had their good spots. You know, Parsons worked out of a jam against Southeastern Louisiana, a good team. Miller pitched a, a couple good innings against uh, against Delaware. So those guys have had their uh, – have had their moments so far. It'll just be about getting that consistency, which is always the hardest part when you come in um, as a freshman. I mean, you know, Nick Dunn is not, you know, he's an outlier. He's not what happens <laughs> right, every right. I mean, It's also hard for a pitcher. I mean, transitioning from high school bats to college bats when you're facing talent like this is tough. But just to highlight a guy like Racino, what he did on Sunday was really uh, was really special to come back off of a rain delay on a 3-2 pitch with a man on second. Um, 
where in an inning that was yeah. sort of going mm-hmm. down uh, a path that the Terps uh, didn't want it to go. Um, that's a big spot for a guy that, uh, you know, still, you know, learning how to pitch. Right. Um, you know, he's a transfer level. transfer from the infield and, you know, after the freshman year, had the, you know, four innings last year. So he, like everyone else, making his real significant contributions this year. And, and you mentioned that rain delay really couldn't have come at a better time, kind of put out the Bryant fire, so to speak, if you want to get poetic mm-hmm. about it. Um, but Racino, you know, really solid job there to, to give the Terps that, that series win. You know, going back to that Cal State Fullerton series, I want to jump back and talk about the Titans a little more. That Sunday game was, was a weird one when the two teams met last year because you had a guy in Jake Drossner's on the mound who put together, you know, this start out of nowhere. You know, probably the best yeah, start. Best, yeah, best, yeah, best start of his entire career. Eight innings, no runs allowed, six strikeouts, one walk. Of course, John Gavin on the other side. Seven innings and six strikeouts, no runs for him as well. It was a tough one nothing loss, mm-hmm. you know. And the Terps had the chance mm-hmm. there to to sweep the Titans, mm-hmm. but you know there is no Drossner this year. He's off with the Brewers, you know. Right. As is Jose Quas. We obviously have mentioned, you know, Wade with the Twins, Robinson with the Twins. You know, the bullpen depleted, but Brian Schaefer turning things around last week. We already talked about his positive start on Sunday, and I think he's gonna, you know, kind of carry this momentum now that he's. Kind oh, yeah. of in rhythm and, and in motion, we'll start to see the same guy who you know had that terrific start against Illinois. I mean, you really saw that guy on Sunday. I mean, I mean, Schaefer was really in control um, on Sunday, even against East Carolina. I mean, that playing against a team in their own ballpark, a top fifteen team like that, he pitched very well. Oh, um, um, and got a no decision there um, in a game that you know he doesn't give up that home run. He maybe earns a win there, um, just you know kept, uh, left the pitch up, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you, you guys were talking about it earlier. The, the starting rotation has been really good. A guy like Bloom has been really spectacular so far this season. So um, those guys can keep it up. If you have three starters like that on the weekend, you got a chance to win a lot of series. So Taking a look at the Titans side of things, they're 9-6 and six on the season. They've won three in a row. They swept Wichita State this past weekend. They fell, you know, in a home and away against Arizona State. Um, sorry, two, in a, a mini away series in the midweek against Arizona State. But one of the other series that they had at the beginning of the year came against Indiana, an opponent that, you know, are in the same conference as the Terps. They swept the Hoosiers, you know, so they've experienced that kind of Big Ten baseball mentality, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they bring to the table, you know, offensively, you know, and defensively for, for the Titans. Yeah, I mean, just based on what I think, I think Phil would agree what we saw last year, really well-coached team, really sound um, and they've had a tough schedule. I think they had Texas Tech at Texas yes, Tech. Yes, they um, which is a tough it's two out of three from them, yeah, I think. Yeah. That's a tough series. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're a quality opponent. They're, they're an opponent that I think, you know, the coaching staff relishes going against in terms of, you know, this is what you want to judge your team against, a team like this on the road. Yeah. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they lost their top two starters last year, Thomas Eschelman and Justin Garza we talked about earlier. And, you know, they lost their top bullpen arm and Pete's Meyer. And, uh, you know, it seems that they've actually reloaded. You, you know, they uh, ranked. And uh, it's just interesting to see what, what we're going to see out of the uh, out of their starting rotation. I know their close with Chad Hawkins has been pretty good for them this year. Um, their best hitter, which I've seen a lot of national analysts talk about there, is Dalton Blazer, who's, uh, I, I think, what has he got, five home runs or something like that? Or? Oh. No, 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 that's the other guy. That's the guy from... Irvine, but he's, he's hitting like 340, he's isn't he? 341, yeah. yep. So Dalton Blazer, you know, senior outfielder, he's going to be kind of the main offensive weapon for the Titans. And of course, you know, I think, you know, it. it's, yes, we can be surprised at the fact that they reload, but when you have a perennial power oh, like Cal yeah. State Fullerton oh. in a hotbed of baseball recruiting of Southern California, they're going to be able to reload every year. And I think that's why, you know, they're on the Terp schedule. And it's such an important series, I think, and when you look at strength of schedule for this Terps team, and you know, we talked about this a lot in the beginning of the year when we were looking at the schedule as a whole. We, we highlighted, you know, a few different series. You know, we highlighted the Alabama series. We highlighted, you know, the series against Cal State Fullerton is the really important non-conference ones. And, you know, now looking back, I think the one against Rhode Island will end up being more important than we initially thought yeah. it was. The one against Bryant may end up being more important than we thought yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, they were RPI top, I know I said this earlier, but RPI top 50 the past two years. And this year, you know, this weekend, it's, I mean, we play... One game against Irvine, who I think was an RPI top 25 last year, RPI top 50 the year before that. Um, Titans are all, I mean, the Cal State Fullerton's always an RPI like top 50 team. So this this week in general is, is really, really a huge week RPI, RPI wise for us. And especially going down the line, right now, you know, only one Big Ten opponent for the Terps is ranked. It's Michigan State. They broke into the rankings this week. 
The only other team, you know, that maybe might be able to crack them before, you know, the conference play starts is Michigan. They were hovering around the 25-18, you know, received votes area, kind of like the Terps were at the beginning of the year. Of course, Maryland now 7-8 and eight has kind of fallen out of the national conversation just a little bit, but certainly, you know, four games and four wins this week will, will catapult oh. them back into, you know, the conversation and maybe even the rankings. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. talk about RPI, I mean, you do whatever you want at home, but to win games on the road really enhances that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is obviously, as Phil said, a chance to win four quality games on the road um, for Maryland. So, and especially as you're getting into Big Ten play, you're going to have some series where the RPI of those teams is a little bit lower, a team like Purdue and stuff like that. Not that those aren't quality groups, but um, just the RPIs aren't going to be as high. And uh, sometimes you're at the mercy of your own schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a really good week for the Terps. I mean, the, uh, the coaching staff has done a great job with the out-of-conference schedule. I mean, a, a team like Alabama is going to be there at the end of the year. Rhode Island and Brian are two quality mid-major opponents. You know, you're not scheduling any cupcakes. That Brian team was very, very, very talented. Very I mean, they talented. were very impressive. Um, so this is uh, certainly a big week, and it'll be, uh, you know, it's fun. The Terps have had some success out in California. Um, That's right, with the uh, regional winning in the past UCLA. Nine months, <laughs> um, me and Phil were out here for that, so that was a good time. But uh, uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. It should be good. So the Terps, they'll take on the Anteaters, UC Irvine, Wednesday night. That'll get underway at 9.30 Eastern Time, 6.30 if you're out with us on the West West Coast. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they'll take on the Titans. It's a 10 o'clock start on Friday, 9 o'clock on Saturday, 4 o'clock on Sunday. I'll be out here to bring you all the play-by-play action with the team for those four games. The Terps, 7-8, and eight, looking to get a few more quality wins. I want to thank Taylor Smythe and Phil DePace for joining us on this edition of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. And certainly can't forget outfielder Madison Nickens for coming on as well. You can follow us on Twitter, at MDBaseballNet, for more Terps updates and content. And also check out our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. That'll do it for the 11th edition of our Maryland Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us this evening, and we'll see you at UC Irvine.